last two Tuesdays, we talked about the principle of a being, and um, it is the relationship to the different mental faculties, such as how does the positive and negative energy works and its effect in all this. And I was uh, hoping I have uh, able to get some good, basic, quite good background for that. Uh, let's hope I mean, that being able to establish. And when we try to talk about the individual, uh, we are not really emphasizing much of who the individual is and what it is and what you identify with this. But we are taking basically there as a being and the being as a continuation. And I even touched the uh, little bit of reincarnation and the, the principle ground on which the Buddhism really accept reincarnation, and I have touched all of this. Just to make it even more clear, the idea of reincarnation is in basic uh, Buddha, what Buddha really said, and what the earlier Buddhist masters, whether it's India or any part of the world, Tibet or whatever, and commonly accepted principle is uh, mind continue as a mind and uh, non-mind cannot become a mind. That was the basic point. We had a lot of discussions on that, but these discussions are important. I don't pretend to have any answers for it. I simply know what I know out of the Buddhist teachings and thoughts and here I will repeat that again. The mind continuously produces mind and non-mind does not produce a mind. And that's why in the idea of a Buddha's teaching, the beings, the, the living beings are totally as a sort of, um, there's no newborn and it's a continuing. And that's how the idea of reincarnation is really based on that. Uh, whether, as the Dalai Lama repeatedly said, if we have seen this true uh, scientific evidence, if there is, uh, which can prove there is no reincarnation, I think uh, it'll be great. I don't think there'll be any hesitation of any Buddhist, if they, I mean, if you are really truly practicing Buddhist, then I don't think there's any hesitation to accept whatever the true establishment is. As the Buddha repeatedly said, the idea of Buddhism is nothing but rely on the absolute truth. And when I use the word absolute truth, some of you may think I'm talking about emptiness. I'm not. The truth here is a relative and absolute truth. You have to accept true truth. If you don't accept true truth and try to think 
absolute truth is the only truth. And then you say, hey, in true reality, there's nothing, it's zero, nothing happens, right? It doesn't matter. And that is uh, what we call it, flying in the air. Person not grounded. But then you lose all the relative truth. After some time, people go sort of a really true extreme. And this is a rather extreme thing. I didn't sort of believe, but also so funny thing happened. It's always bothered in my head. Uh, it was in 1970s. Uh, one of the the Tibetan incarnate Lama, the brother of Dalai Lama, who was also the professor in Indiana University, who was then, came to India and told me that he said, hey, one of those people who are following Dharma, he said, some of them are going to go to the airline ticket and carry some pebbles picked up from the roadside and try to buy air ticket, saying, this is the reality, here you go. And I couldn't, I didn't ever believe that. But then, you know, it is not me who tell against it to him, is I don't believe that. But uh, if it's so, some people might have done it, right? One or two might have done it. And if they so, it is the only problem if you lose the relative truth that could happen, if it happened. Uh, that could only happen if you lose the relative truth. So thinking that it is all important in absolute truth and it is everything zero, nothing left. You know, people talk about dualistic and this and that, and they say, well, whatever we see, feel, hear, everything is false, right? People say that very often. So this is a, not a great understanding to me. I think it is a false, a totally, I mean, in absolute reality, it may be true, but the relative truth is another true. So Nagajune, one of those great uh, the Indian scholars we always rely on and uh, quotes very often, says referring to Buddha as those who are knowing the world, referring to knowing the world. So the Buddha, without listening to anybody else, presented the true truth. He said relative truth and absolute truth. And that Buddha never said third truth. So that's what the Nagarjuna is the word. So the, the both truth, the relative truth and the absolute truth is absolutely necessary. One cannot lose the other one. If you lose the other one, it is the, for Buddhist people, uh, the measurement where you measure whether the person is going cuckoo or is they really true, whether you are losing the one of the truth. If you are losing one of the truth, we treat them as cuckoo. So this is the measurement where you put it on, whether you are truly a person who are sort of reliable or cuckoo, is the one who is losing the both truth or one of them losing. One who will be able to hold both or one of them losing. And particularly in our level, the relative truth is much more important than absolute truth.
And if you try to search the absolute truth and thinking it is some sort of emptiness and that has a very romantic name in that. So try to search the emptiness and try to look into the zero. If you keep on looking in the zero figure, you're not going to find anything else except the zero. So the zero is not the reality. The reality is existence. So, I don't know why I'm talking that today, but I'm not planning even to talk, but this is what happened. And I was talking to some friend of mine on a telephone yesterday, uh, over an hour, trying to explain the relative truth is the more important than absolute truth. Because you know, if you think the relative truth, whatever is existing, seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, happening, you label them as a dualistic mind, dualistic mental observation, and label them and try to find another truth beyond that. You're fooling yourself. Absolutely. Tsongkhapa repeatedly said, the absolute truth will reveal by itself within the relative truth. And if you ignore the relative truth, try to look. And I'm mentioning this because there's a number of teachers are trying to teach, uh, try to teach and tell you, ignore whatever is happening in the uh, relative truth and uh, try to go beyond that and be very positive. I'm not against the positiveness, but be very positive and forget it, everything and everything will happen by itself. Or in reality, it is zero, nothing is a matter, or something like that. You know, people do do that, and they've been a little disturbed. That's why I was uh, talking this. I also saw very recently on television, some of the teachers try to say, the local area teachers, some of them try to say, the AIDS is uh, not a reality, if you believe it. There is no aid. Don't have to worry about it. And all these sort of things, I mean, when you come on the television, and I don't, know, I don't know how many people are watching it, right? So get disturbed, because in absolute truth, there's nothing, no aids. So all these are getting a little disturbed uh, for me. And really, it is not the right thing to do. The absolute truth has to be found by relative truth. Buddha never found absolute truth separately from the relative truth. If you are going to find an absolute truth separately from the relative truth, you better be careful. That's what it is. And also, dealing with this, what I really wanted to talk today is the, again, it's almost the same thing. Uh, the same thing. And I've been keeping on telling the people, saying that these negative things is reversible. Reversible. That's what the main point. We try to establish the individual being. And uh, then continuation. And then, if possible, I should really try to put karma in between. But it is also important to be able to reverse the negative habit, negative things happening with us, is also basically karma-connected events. And it's also dependent origination. This is very much, very much dependent. So 
So I was uh, pouring water on the, one of those flowers, hanging flower, yesterday morning. And one of the water went so strong and uh, started digging the little dirt in that flower pot. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge begonia. It's huge. No, not begonia. Uranium. Thank you. Huge one. So, but then, you know, they cut the ground underneath and I looked at it carefully. The pot appeared. If I turn to water it and let it be like this, it's going to dry. Or I take it out, all the, all the dirt on that, and let it be there, it's going to die. Why? That thought really exactly came on my head. Why? So existence of that flower, blooming well, is huge. It's going up this way, going down that way, huge one. So why is this growing right? Because the conditions are right. There's a nice soil and watering all the time. And uh, I mean, not too much, but sort of all the time right. And there's a right temperature and all this. So, that word came up. That's also Nagarjuna's word. One who, who had grown with the conditions has no self-grown. That is not self-grown. Who or whatever, it depends on those conditions are natural or empty. One who knows the, the emptiness, and then it is in peace. So that word came up when I'm watering the flower, cutting that thing, and that came up. So this is what it is. So one who depends on the conditions, it isn't true natural or empty. Right? If you are truly existing, if you are by your own, you don't have to depend on it. Right? If you know how to walk, if you don't have a problem on your legs, there's no reason you have to carry a walking stick or, you know, now that you see that little thing, people walk with it. You don't have to carry that. You don't need it. Because you can independently function and walk. The moment you cannot function independently, when you have a problem with your legs, you have to depend on that, something else, which could be walking stick or that uh, chair type of thing people carry. And that means your two legs cannot carry the body. You cannot independently move, so therefore you are depending. So once you are depending on something, which is absolutely clear saying you are not independent because you are dependent. Right? Does that make sense? So your emptiness is in your own hand. You don't have to look for emptiness as a zero figure and try to find it. No, it is very much there. Like my flower, if all the dirt goes out of it, out of that part, and it's going to die. Because it depends. So it is this beautiful flower, huge one, is grown, grown out of the condition. 
Likewise, we, the human beings, are also grown beautifully, growing the conditions. They lack the positiveness, as well as the good thing, whatever is happening in our life. And that's also grown out of those good conditions. Likewise, all bad things, the negatives, also grow out of conditions. So that the negative energy, the positive energy, is all, all negative, positive, or call it virtue, non-virtue, all of them are empty in nature. So that depends on the condition. So we have room to play, reverse, or grow continuously. So that gives us an independence in our own hand, how we will shape our future, where you're going to handle it, how we're going to handle it. It gives independence to us. We can do it, because that made us possible, sort of independent to ourselves how we shape the condition. We can't do much on the result itself. On the condition, we can do it. Because the result of the positive or the negative is it depends on the condition. Getting that idea across to you is not difficult. That's why the, the dependent origination Pratita Samatak, that is the Sanskrit word, Pratita. Pratita Samata, uh, I'm sure you have heard, number of you have heard, number of you have not heard. So on that, you should have to talk two days on the Pratita Samanda. There's a Pratita Samata, the dependent rising, and four noble truth combined. So this was uh, my request to him to give the, the people who have been a number of times with us, is I think begin to need to understand the little bit of the true emptiness. So I said the first verse, first verse of the Nagarjuna's root text is a place to Buddha. It's one, four little words. Apparently I saw that in the, in the collected works of Tsongkhapa. I think that had that translation of that. It begins on... I bow down to the perfect Buddha, the best of teachers, who propounded that what dependently arises has no cessation, no production, no annihilation, no permanence, no coming, no going, no difference, no sameness, is free of the elaborations of inherent existence and of duality, and is at peace. Thank you. So that's, that's, that is the verse. So the verse, and I sort of requested him to talk on that verse. So that verse says, right? Mm, again, it is the again this uh, the rising dependent rising. no stop, not growing, no stop, no growing, no going, no coming, and all this are because it is a dependent rise. And then press to the Buddha by by knowing it clearly and expressing it. 
So, you know, the Buddha's teachings are, I can't repeatedly keep on telling you people, Buddha's teachings are nothing but that of his personal experience. It is not that, you know, we today, I can get in a number of different books here and there, and uh, when I sort of like to see in certain important points, I can get a lot of those things and reach the Buddha doesn't have that. And he sort of talked based on his personal experience and uh, knowledge. Uh, knowledge here, I mean, this is a problem with me. This is my problem. I use the word very often, knowledge, because the translation of guna in Sanskrit, the word guna is translated as knowledge. Actually, it means it means yundai in Tibetan. Guna translated yundai, education translated as a yundai, knowledge is translated as a yundai. So I get confused all this. So it is the language problem I have. But uh, what here we are talking about, it doesn't mean the knowledge, the quality. It is the guna, the quality. The quality what the Buddha gained, the quality. I mean, you say, we say Buddha is extraordinary. We all agree with that. I don't think anybody argues with that. So we do agree with that. When we say extraordinary, what do you mean by extraordinary? They have some kind of special qualities. And these are the qualities that makes the person different, right? It's not so much of um, anything else. It's not a question of Mr. Handsome or Ugly or beauty or whatever, it, we are not talking about that. It is the quality that makes a person different. So the Buddha's teachings are based on those qualities that he gained. So one of these great quality what the Buddha gained and shared is the true understanding of dependent, dependent rise. So, so that's why even those prayers itself, the only four, four line prayers, and that sort of carries, tells us all basic foundation of our life, functioning of life. And uh, that, along with that, when you moved with the Four Noble Truths, that is exactly how our life is functioning. It's nothing second on that. I mean, you, I mean, none of us, cannot find anything what's happening with us or part of our life which is not part of Four Noble Truths. If you keep on counting truth number one is sub, truth number two causes, truth number three says it, truth number four is, I even forgot what is it. <laughs> truth number th three is a part and fourth is sensation. If you keep on saying that doesn't make sense, you only know that how to count it, right? But if you begin to look in the life and see the Four Noble Truths together, there is nothing happening with us which is not part of this Four Noble Truths yet. There is nothing happening with us which is not governed by the principle of the dependent rise. So it is one of the key of our life functioning. It is the key for us to reverse our negative habit, emotions, 
and its effects, or we continue with the negative habits and emotions and uh, continuously go through the experience and the sufferings of the negative emotions. I think the key is really to this dependent. So partita really depends, really tells you it depends. It relies on, it meets, meeting, relying on, and depending on. So the original cause, if doesn't meet with the condition, it not materialize. Original karma cause has to depend on the condition to be able to function. So original karma relies on the condition which provides them the result. That's what the potato really tells you. Kanji tenju mayimbe, chunga yeba mayimbe, tijitongba mayimbe, chunga yeba mayimbe, nagajuni continuously said, therefore, there is no such phenomena which does not exist, not depending on those conditions. So if it exists, it has to depend on the condition. Therefore, there is no such phenomena which is by nature not being empty. If it's by nature, it is not empty, then you don't have to depend on the condition. That's what it is. The emptiness does not really mean there's nothingness. So therefore, the pebbles, the, the stones picked up on the road, is not equal to gold because it is a dependent rise. It doesn't go equal to gold. <laughs> That's what it is.